Hey, have you ever have you ever assumed something and realized after you assume that thing that you were wrong? Anybody? Anybody? All right. So anytime we assume something and it happens to not be true, it, we kind of, it kind of costs us something. Usually it costs us a little bit of a reputation and pride. We, we assume something meant something. We assume something she said meant something that, that maybe she liked us, and then we realize uh, that that's, that's not what it meant. Or we assume something was going on when we walked into a room, and, and that wasn't actually true. Or we assume um, something happened uh, at work or at school, and we just assume something about it. Or we assume something to be true, and then then it comes out that it's not actually the truth. And it kind of costs us something. And sometimes it's very little, like, like something that I hate. It, it's always, it just like makes me so embarrassed is when uh, like you're at like a beach or really any public place, school, uh, work, whatever. And uh, someone starts waving and you think they're waving at you. You assume they're waving at you because why wouldn't they be there? They're looking straight at you. They're all excited. They're jumping up and down. They're waving. And you're like, you're like, is it me? Like, I don't even know that person, or I don't know them that well. Are they, are they really that excited? I see them every day. Like, why are they so excited to see me? And, 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 and you know, it's happened to us before, so we, we kind of have our guard up. So we look around. We're like, maybe they're talking to somebody else. Oh, but they just keep looking at me, and they keep waving. And, and at first, we're like, well, I'm not going to wave. I'm not going to wave. I'm not going to wave. It must not be me. And then you're like, I, I don't want to be rude. And they, maybe they are waving at me. Maybe they're just excited to see me. And so you assume they're waving at you, and finally, you're just like, and right as you wave your hand, like, it's always like right after you finally decide to wave your hand, like someone comes from behind you and they go and give them a hug and you're like, crap, they weren't talking to me. And I, I hate when that happens. It's like every time, it happens a lot, but like, it's just like, it, it, it's just, you're never really ready for it. It's just always just kind of devastating in the moment. And then like, even I'm so sensitive to it that like when I'm waving at somebody, and I think like the other day I was at the gym and, and I was looking towards something and some like, I think it was one of your parents or something like like she waved at me and I was like, oh crap, she thought we were looking at her and then like, but then she turned away and then she felt like I, I was not paying attention to her and now like she thinks I'm a jerk or whatever and like, like I'm just so embarrassed for her and like I'm embarrassed for myself and it's just like this like, ah, uh, like it just feels weird and it's just a little thing. And then sometimes assumptions cost us a little bit more than momentary embarrassment or momentary awkwardness. Um, many of you know the story, it's part of our history, um, but but in 1912, these, uh, the, this group of people built this massive boat, and they spent over $100 million in the, 19, in, in the early 1900s, which was an insane amount of money. They spent over $100 million on this boat, and they assumed what? Do you know? That it was unsinkable, that it could not sink to the bottom of the ocean. And four hours into their first voyage, they hit an iceberg, and they sank, and 1,200 people died, and a bunch of people were on ships and doors and stuff and, and trying to survive. And they lost hundreds of million dollars sitting at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean because of an assumption. They assumed something. It did not come out to be true, and it cost them something. There's an assumption that millions of people across the world, but especially, I would say, in America, are making. And it's about something very, very important. And I want to explain it to you, but first I'll tell you the assumption. Here it is. The assumption is that following Jesus is boring and lifeless, and that it's all about rules. That is the assumption 
of so many people, but especially in America, because, you know, we got churches on every corner, and you can go look up a podcast or look up a sermon or watch, watch worship and all that kind of stuff, and, and it's so accessible for us. So we all know something about Jesus, and because we know something about him, we take that something and we assume it's the truth. We assume what we think is the truth. And it's almost worse for us in some ways than people that have never heard of Jesus because the people that never heard of Jesus have nothing to go on. And in and, and, and us, it's just like we, it's so prevalent. Like we see Jesus all over our society. And so we come up with like these assumptions about who Jesus is. And the problem is this assumption that so many people have, millions of people have, is wrong. Following Jesus is not boring and lifeless. Following Jesus is not all about rules. We actually think, a lot of us, think that following Jesus is like a prison sentence. It's like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to put myself inside of a prison cell, but not because someone forces me to be in it, but just because I'm going to do it on my own, and I'm going to stop myself from doing things I want to do, and from living the life that everybody else gets to live. And so we, we sit here and we're like, oh my gosh, this is awful. Like, why would I want to follow Jesus? Like, he takes everything away. He's like a mean parent. He's strict and like, oh, I don't want to. That's so boring. That's so lifeless, so strict. It's so conservative. Like, I don't want to deal with Jesus. I want to live my own life. I want to do what I want to do. Here's the problem with this assumption. It's not true. Jesus never said any of this. Not only did he not say this, he didn't live this. His life did not look like this. But I know that everybody's like, well, Jesus was God, and so we don't want to look at him. And so let's look at his followers. His followers did not live lives like this. His early followers, simple people, tax collectors and, and, and fishermen and wives and husbands and aunts and uncles, like just normal people, their life was not boring and lifeless, and their life was not all about Rules. In fact, Jesus came to bring something new that was beyond rules. And he actually talked about that a lot. And so this assumption is a false assumption. <clears throat> and here's the problem. If you don't want to follow Jesus, perhaps it's because you are misunderstanding what he is all about. And millions of people across America and across the world that have heard about Jesus, but maybe they've just heard bits and pieces or maybe they went to church a little bit, or maybe they just saw something on the internet or whatever. They've been exposed to some things that are not true about Jesus. And so they assume some things about Jesus that are not true. And perhaps they're not following him, not because he's not worth following, not because there's something better, but just because they're misunderstanding what he's all about. Perhaps you in this room right now, somebody in this room is not following Jesus because you're misunderstanding what he is all about. About. And in the movie, uh, The Greatest Showman, Barnum goes around and, and he, he, he grabs all these misfits, these outcasts from, from society, the people that people have pushed away. And some of them look different, some of them act different, um, and, and he grabs them and he says, listen, 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 there is more to life than what you're living. You don't have to hide in the shadows. You don't have to live um, this life where you're just waiting for it to be over. You don't have to be ashamed of yourself. You can actually be something. You can actually be the center of attention. You can make money. You can be a part of the show. And, and I mean, the movie kind of takes some license with how nice of a man Barnum was, and he was taking advantage of them for his own gain. But nonetheless, he told them, 
he told them this, this idea that you can come alive. There's more to life than what you are experiencing. And this is such a, a massive idea because this is what Jesus came to do. He came to show us that there was more to life than what we were experiencing, what we are experiencing. And so many people are like the, the, the group of people that Barnum went to. Not because we're outcasts or on the outside of society, but we're like them in that we are living a life that is less than what we could be living. Like, what if, what if someone told you, like, literally, you could have a life better than you have? Most of us would say yes. And there's, like, this, like, kind of um, thing on social media. It's kind of like a basic white girl thing. Like, oh, my gosh, like, living my best life, you know? Like, just living my best life, you know? Some of y'all, like, you're like, I'm going to delete that post. Um, and... Uh, and so, like, like we're, we're trying to live our best life, right? We're going to the beach, going out to lunch, hanging out with our friends, going, living our best life, doing, just doing what I want to do, right? And, and we, we have this idea that we control everything, that we can live our best life. And the reality is that on our own, we cannot live our best life. Our best life falls far short of what is possible. And so we're not going to assume things about Jesus. We're not going to assume falsehoods. We are going to actually look at what he said, look at what he was all about. And we're going to look at it from the Gospel of John in the New Testament. And, and let me tell you about this a little bit. The Gospel of John is, is not important just because it's in the Bible. Here's why it's important. Because John was one of the best friends of Jesus. He walked around with Jesus. He followed Jesus. He saw all this happen. He was an eyewitness. And so he wrote down all this stuff in his lifetime when everybody else that was around was still alive and could have refuted it. He wrote these things down, and it survived thousands of years. Why? Because no one could refute it. Because everybody in the area realized, he's telling the truth. I was there. My brother was there. My sister was there. My kid was there. And they knew it was the truth. And so we had this eyewitness account passed down to us over thousands of years from the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 11, verse 1. And here's what John saw, and here's what he writes about. He says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, and the village, uh, this was the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same who, who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So Mary and Martha, they're mentioned a couple times. There's a couple of famous stories about them in other gospels, and uh, actually in this gospel as well. Um, and so they're kind of well-known, and they have this brother named Lazarus. And, uh, and here's, here's what's important to know. Um, they were good friends with Jesus. Like they were family friends. They were, they, they were very close. They spent a lot of time together. So the sisters sent word to Jesus because if you know Jesus, yeah, I mean, someone's sick, you know he heals people, you're gonna go get them. And so they sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Here, here's something just to start off with breaking our assumptions. Jesus does not say he will not die. Jesus does not say everything's going to be okay. Jesus says it will not end in death. He doesn't say he won't die. He says it will not end in death. This is very important because Jesus doesn't promise us that when we follow him, life's going to be perfect. Actually, what he does is he promises that life won't be perfect. He promises us that we will go through tough times, that we will go through trials of many kinds, that we will face trouble. But the good hope is not that life is going to be perfect. The hope is that we are going to have God with us. The hope is that it will not end in death. 
Now, we may face death. We may even die, but we will not end in death. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Continuing on, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Again, they were, they were close friends. So, because he loved them, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he went straight to them. No, it's not what it says. It says he stayed where he was two more days. Why, why if you loved them, Jesus, didn't you go? Why did you stay? Why didn't you rush to his side like an ambulance and, and make sure he'd be okay? Well, we've got to also realize, and this is not the point of this sermon, but it is an important point, that God's timing is not our timing. God's timing works differently than our timing. And we're going to see in this story that God's timing works better than our timing. And finally, after two days, verse 7, it says, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And then they're like, Jesus, last time we went, it didn't go so well. A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. They tried to kill you. And yet you're going to go back? And Jesus answers in this kind of weird answer um, that they don't understand as usual. But he says, are, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for, the, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after he says this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples said, Jesus, if he sleeps, he's going to get better. Jesus did, did the Virgin Mary never teach you? When you're sleeping, you get better. Your mommy, mommy always says, you got to rest. You got to stay in bed. You got to eat, eat, eat some soup, drink some water. You got to rest to get better. What are you talking about, Jesus? Don't wake him up. Man, Jesus, I mean, he heals people, but he doesn't even know common sense. Like, come on, Jesus, we're not going to go wake him up. He's resting. And then Jesus is like, guys, guys, I'm God. I, I, I kind of know about that whole deal. And he continues, I'm not, not really talking about natural sleep. So in verse 14, he says, so I, so I told them plainly, or he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Guys, I'm not talking about sleep. He's dead. And they're all like, huh? Well, then, then why are we even going there? And he, he answers it before they even ask it. He says, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Again, God's timing, not ours. So he says, I'm glad we're not there. Essentially, he's saying, I'm glad Lazarus is dead. Why? For your sake, disciples. For my followers' sake, Jesus says, I am glad that this happened. Then Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. How encouraging. How nice. Everybody has like that pessimistic friend who's like, oh, gosh, we're all going to die. Like in every horror movie, there's always someone that's like, oh, we're all going to die. You know, and, and, and this, is, this is Thomas. He's like, oh, they're going to kill us all, but I guess we're just going to go marching to our deaths. And so I'm sure uh, that encouraged everybody. And they all go back to um, where they thought they might face death. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Here's why that's important. It took one day for them to get there. They waited two days, and it took one day for the messenger to get to them. That's four days. Here's why that matters. He was already dead when the messenger got to Jesus. Perhaps that's why he wasn't in a rush. He knew he was dead, and he wasn't going to get any more dead. He was just dead. And so he, he says, eh, we're just going to wait here. He, he knows better than to rush to a dead person. He's going to be dead in a few days. We'll go there when we go there. 
And so they get there, and he's in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in their, for their loss of their brother. Here, here's what this tells us. Jerusalem was the capital city, so all the important people lived in Jerusalem. Many Jews, a crowd of Jews, comes down two miles, takes a day trip to see their family. Why? Because their family was uh, most likely wealthy and was well-known. So this didn't happen like in a corner that nobody knew about. It wasn't some unknown person. This was a famous guy. Like people knew about him. When he died, it was a big deal. You know, when like famous people die, like they like put their uh, funeral on TV. It was kind of like the same deal. And so he is well known by many people. So many people come to his funeral. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him and Mary stayed at home. Lord, she said to Jesus, and she's gonna say what many of us would say. If you had been here, My brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, what were you doing? Where were you? If you had just come, everything would be okay. But she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So Jesus is like, yeah, your brother's gonna rise again. And she doesn't answer, woohoo, I'm so excited. She answers, yeah, yeah, I, I know. He's gonna, ra- he's gonna raise again. He's gonna be in the resurrection in the last day. What, he, what she's saying is like, when the world ends and, and God comes to save us, like, then he's gonna raise again. And Jesus is like, eh, that's not what I'm talking about. And, and then he, he answers a question she didn't even ask. And he says this statement that maybe at the time they didn't really notice, but is so, so important. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. She refers to a resurrection. She's talking about death and life. He says, I am the resurrection and life. What he's saying is, I am God. I have the power. I control all these things. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Remember what he said earlier, it will not end in death. So even though they die, they will live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She says, yes. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who is to come into the world. Verse 28, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here. He's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him outside of the village. So when the Jews, all the people there mourning for Lazarus, when they saw that she got up quickly and she went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. So something important to know is like the way they did funerals was not like us. Like we, we do a funeral in a few hours. We have our funeral. We have a little meal. We might go out to the, to the burial site and it's over. They had like a 30 day funeral. It was this long drawn out um, time of mourning. And the first week of it was this loud agonizing mourning. And, and what they would actually do is they would hire professional whalers. They would hire people and their job was to just get paid to go to funerals and wail and cry and just, and just, just scream in agony for the person who had died. Like that's something that was common. They would also pay maybe a, a flutist or some kind of band to come out and, and play songs in mourning for the person who had died. And so this was a common thing. And so they're there for the mourning. And so when she goes out to the grave, they're like, all right, let's just follow her. And we're gonna go there and wail some more. We're gonna go cry some more. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, same thing Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Translation, what are you doing, Jesus? Like, what's the deal? Come on, man. Like, we're friends with you. What's the point of being friends with Jesus if he's not gonna heal our brother? Come on. 
Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Here's, here's something to know. The weeping, the word they use, the Greek word for weeping that they use is uh, for, for, for Mary and the Jews is this wailing, this, this agony, this, this loud, hopeless crying. But the word they use for Jesus when he wept is a word that means like a silent tear. Like kind of like, you know, when you're watching and like there's like this strong male figure in a movie and he kind of has just like the one strong tear. And like he clenches his jaw and all that kind of stuff. Like that's, that's the Jesus cry here. He's like, just some tears coming down his face. But here's the thing. He wasn't crying for Lazarus because he knew the end. Remember, he said, it will not end in death. Why would I cry for something that will not end in death? Now the Jews, in the next verse, it'll say, see how he loved him. That they see the tears and they think, well, he's crying for Lazarus. But it wasn't just that he was crying for Lazarus. He was crying because he looked at these people that were in agony, that were wailing and crying for the loss of their friend, of their brother. And he saw them and he hurt for them. And he was troubled and he was saddened. Why? Because he saw a bunch of people that only saw the physical. They thought when someone died, it was over. There was no hope. There was no rebirth. There was no resurrection. There was no afterlife. There was nothing. It was over. And he sees these people that are hopeless and worried and scared. And he looks at them and he's like, ah. And he hurts for them. Why? Because they were assuming something. Another false assumption. They were assuming that life is over when we breathe our last breath. They were assuming that what they could see was all that mattered. And he says, ah, like, I wish they could see. And so he cries for them. And then some of the the people there say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? So they say what everybody else is saying, like, why didn't Jesus do something? Next verse. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Sound familiar? A couple weeks later, a couple of miles away, Jesus' body would be laid in a tomb very similar. A cave owned by a rich man with a stone rolled across the entrance. So Jesus goes to the cave and he says, guys, take away the stone. And Martha, if you know like the Mary and Martha story, like she's all about like the rules and she's all about like the logistics. And she's like, but but Lord, Lord, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been in there for four days. She's all, she's all stuck in like the, like, like, well, we can't do that because of this, this, and this. And like, that's how Martha worked. She was always about the details and, 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 and she was always worried about something. And she's like, we, we can't do that, Jesus. We can't do that because it's gonna smell. Well, let me tell you a little bit why it would smell because bodies then were the same as bodies now. And the, the, the progression of the body was the same. So immediately after your body dies, it begins to essentially consume itself. And there are these enzymes inside of your cells that will begin eating the cells from the inside out. The body gets stiff. These enzymes start eating your vital organs. We call this, uh, when, the, when the body gets stiff, rigor mortis. And so the body gets stiff. And then after a couple of days, these enzymes start to produce a gas. 
And this gas begins to bloat the body. Sometimes bodies can become bloated by like twice as big as they were when the body was alive. The skin begins to change colors. Blisters begin to form on the skin. And the gas begins to escape from the body. And it smells very, very bad. This is why like in in big apartment buildings and stuff, when a body dies and they live alone and they don't have any friends to check on them and they're not on Instagram all the time so people don't notice, like people find the body. Why? Because they smell it through the walls and they smell it throughout the building and they know that there is a body somewhere in the building. This smell is like nasty. Like you could smell it from a far way away and you can't get rid of it. And even after the body gets removed, the smell is still there for a while. And so they're like, Jesus, we don't want to open the the tomb. This is nasty. He's been dead for four days. Like some things are starting to happen. Some things are starting to come out of this body that we don't want to see and we don't want to smell. So Martha's like, I don't want to do this. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? They were like, wow, okay. So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and he prays this prayer to to God, but he doesn't pray for Lazarus to be risen. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. He just says, God, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. So he prays this prayer just so everybody else can hear that he's talking to God and that whatever is about to happen comes from God. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Exclamation point. He commands Lazarus to come out. He commands Lazarus, a dead man, a man that smells, that the smell is coming out of the hole in the cave. They can all smell it. And he yells out, Lazarus, come out. This is a man with authority. This is a man that can command life. And it says the dead man came out. Imagine the scene. We read this and we're like, oh, yeah, the dead man came out. Whatever. It's like in a movie. Imagine you're at a funeral, okay? And a guy comes up. You have Pastor Jerry coming and doing the funeral. Pastor Jerry comes up and he's like, all right, open the casket. And you're like, what? That's nasty. No, it's, no, no, we're not doing that. Open the casket. And you're like, all right, all right, Pastor Jerry. All right, Eddie, come on out. And all of a sudden, a guy, like, you see a hand up on the side of the ground. And you see a leg come up, and he just starts crawling out of the grave. Like, imagine that scene. People are like, oh. Like, they're, they're like, running away. They're, they're crying. They're like, oh, what's going on? And Lazarus' kids are like, Daddy, this is, oh. You know, like, this is, like, this is strange. This is not every day. Lazarus comes out of the grave. He comes out of the grave. And he was wrapped with strips of linen. This is how they would bury them. They, they would lay them on this, this kind of like stone um, table and they would wrap them in strips of linen and anoint the body with spices. And he comes out still with the straps, the strips of linen on him and a cloth around his face. And Jesus says to them, the people around, the people that are scared, the people that may be running away, he says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Here's the truth that this story gives us. Jesus did not come for rules. He didn't come to make our life boring and to take away freedom. The truth that this story shows, this truth from Jesus' mouth is this. Jesus came to bring us back to life. Jesus came to bring us back 
to life. And not just any life. See, there are three words in the Greek for life. And the the New Testament was written in Greek. And the three words are bios, which is um, the word that we get biology from. And uh, that's like, you know, cellular life, your circulatory system, all that kind of stuff, breath in your lungs, all that. The second word is suke, and um, it is uh, the, the root word for psychology, and it is kind of like your mind, your soul, uh, and, and all that. And then the third word is the word that is used in this scripture, and it is zoe. Everybody say zoe. Zoe. And zoe means this, a life that lasts forever, a life that does not end, a life with God, that is only possible through God, a real and genuine life, a life that is full of vitality, which is like an energy, a, a, a kind of like this, this energy that you can't get from anywhere else but God. And so when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he says, I am the resurrection and the zoe, the zoe. This is the life Jesus talks about. He's not talking about just breathing. He's not talking about just your mind, your personality, your spirit. He's talking about a life that does not end, a life that lasts forever, a life with God, a real and a genuine life. If you go back one chapter, there's this verse in chapter 10, verse 10, and Jesus is telling a story about a shepherd and the sheep, and and then he has this, this famous verse. He says, the thief, the world, sin, Satan, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they... They is you. They is all people. That they may have life. Guess what life? Guess what word he uses here? Zoe. I have come that they may have Zoe, a life with God, a life that does not end, a life that is never ending and full of, just full of energy and full of freedom, that they may have a life and that they may have it to the full. Other, other translations of the Bible say that they may have it abundant, this full satisfactory, content life. Wouldn't it be nice to just be satisfied? We eat and we want more. We have sex, we want more. We get popular, we want more. We have success, we want more. We drink, we want more. We smoke, we want, that we always want more and more and more and more and more. Would it not be nice to just be satisfied? This is the life that Jesus offers. He says, I have come that they may have zoe, Here's the truth about the life that Jesus offers. The life that Jesus gives is full of purpose, freedom, and love. Remember what the thief does. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to give purpose, freedom, and love. Here's what we think. I'll get purpose, freedom, and love when I live my best life. I'll get purpose, freedom, and love from partying and drinking. Well, it might feel like that at first. But have you ever known or been affected by someone that is addicted to substances, whatever substance it is? We see that it does not end in purpose, freedom, and love. Actually, what sin does is it takes away freedom. It takes away purpose. It takes away love. We may think, oh, well, well you know, like, I don't, I don't want God to tell me what to do with my body. I'm just going to have sex with whoever I want to. I'm just going to do what I want to. It'll, it'll give me purpose. It'll definitely give me love. I'm free to do what I want to do, But the reality is when we do things our way, when we get into lust, when we get into sex out of the way that God designed, we, we lose our freedom. We don't experience love. We experience lust. We experience regret. We experience 
hurt. And if you live a life full of pride or selfishness, man, man I've experienced this. When, when you're selfish, you think, oh, it's gonna live to freedom because I'll get what I want. But all it does is really just trap you. Well, that my purpose is to fulfill what I wanna get and it just leads to hurt and a lack of purpose because you're living for yourself. He said, well, it'll lead to love because I love myself and it actually takes away love. It actually hurts relationships. See, our sin always steals and kills and destroys. Jesus wasn't lying. It steals and it kills and it destroys, but the life he gives is full of purpose and freedom and love. Ephesians 2.6 says this. It's the last scripture. Listen, listen to what this says. Paul writes this, and Paul was like changed. like It was crazy. He was changed from the inside out. Here's what he says. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Here's, here's the deal. We were dead in our sin. Our souls were bloated. Our souls smelled. We were in a cave with a stone rolled, open, rolled, rolled over the opening with no hope. And through Christ, we were made alive, even though we were dead. See, Lazarus isn't just some guy. Lazarus is a symbol of all of us. Through Jesus raising a guy back to life, which really make everybody angry when he raised Lazarus back to life because everybody knew Lazarus. Through that, he shows us what he does for us. He says, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Before we close, I wanna, I wanna show you guys a story from one of our students. She's in the band. Uh, many of you know her. her name is Emily. She's gonna share uh, her story uh, of, of really the death to life, um, the life that Jesus has shown her, both physically and spiritually. So check out this video. That's, uh, that's, what, that's what Jesus came to do. And we can assume all we want, what we want to assume. Oh, Jesus just is out to get me. Jesus is just, just, just here to take away my fun, take away my party. And that is not why he came. He came to give us a life that is not possible without him. And I want us to just return for, for a moment um, to that last verse when he raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus is alive. Lazarus has walked out and listened to him. And he says this very, very, very important line to everybody standing around. He says, take off his grave cloths or his grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. There's some people in this room that probably I started preaching. They're like, this isn't for me. I'm a Christian. Listen, there's a lot of Christians that walk through life and they're walking through life and they're saved and they know Jesus, but they're walking through life like they are trapped, like they are dead, like they are still in the grave. And they may, they may feel like they are living their best life, but they are actually not living the life God has called them to live. And Jesus is saying to you, if that's you, if you're in here and you're a Christian, you say, man, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm living that abundant life. I don't think I've been experiencing that Zoe that, that, that Jesus came to give. That abundant, that amazing, that energetic life, that life that never ends, that does not end in death. 
Here is Jesus' call to you. Take off the grave clothes. Stop walking around in guilt. Stop walking around in shame. Stop walking around in rules. Stop walking around in I shouldn't have and regrets and messing up and all that kind of stuff. Stop thinking you're in a you're in this you're in this box that you can't get out of. Jesus has come to give you life. Take off the grave clothes. And if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus and you've you've experienced a Jesus where you assumed he's out to get me. And I don't want to be like a Christian because I don't want to give up this, this, and this. And I'm just going to figure out things on my own. If that's you, I want to tell you that you can live a better life, that you can live a different life, that Jesus has called you to come alive. And he's calling you right now by name. Whatever your name is, he's calling you right now, and he's saying, come out, get up. The grave is open. It's done. I've already raised you up. I'm just waiting for you to get up. I'm just waiting for you to come out. Take off the grave clothes. Follow me. Live the Zoe. Live the life that you cannot live apart from me. Stop trying to live your best life and live my best life. Live God's best life. He has something more for you. He loves you. He's here for you. Man, if you are if you are someone in this room right now and you don't know Jesus, and you say, man, I've been assuming the wrong thing. I didn't know that he was here for me. I didn't know that he loved me. I didn't know that there was a better life for me. I want to give you the opportunity to get to know him, to, to join him in a relationship. So we're going to bow our heads, close our eyes. And if that's you, if, if you are in this room and God's working on your heart and you watched Emily's testimony video and you were just like, God was just doing something and you, you just felt tears coming to your eyes. Like, I don't even know what's going on. Like, I, I can't even describe this feeling. God is working on your heart. God wanted you here today on October 7, 2018, because he had a message for you. And his message is come alive, come out of the grave. Man, if that's you, <clears throat> I want to give you the opportunity. And it's not because we're in a church and it's not because music's playing it's because God is working on your heart right now and he's asking you follow after me follow after me I have something for you I have something for you he's calling you by name if that's you on the count of three I'm going to give you the opportunity just raise your hand so you can remember the time you said yes to Jesus and I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and pray this prayer with me the Bible says if you believe it and if you say it then you will be saved And I can't do it for you, and your friend can't do it for you, and God's not going to do it for you. It's a choice that you have to make. Who are you going to say Jesus is? Are you going to follow him and his best life, or are you going to just try to do it on your own? So on the count of three, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand and pray this prayer along with me. One, God loves you. Two, he's calling you out of the grave to a new life in him. Three, raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand if that's you. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm yours. I know I've messed up. I know I've tried to live life on my own. But I believe that you are the Son of God. That you died and rose for me. And that you came not to take away my life, but to raise me back to life. Jesus, I want you to be Savior. I want you to be my Lord, and I want to follow you. Give me life. In your name we pray.